Welcome to the Naked Ambition Podcast, where we speak with the people who are making an impact in tech, innovation, and leadership all around the world. I'm your host, Fiona Triaka. So in this week's episode, I speak with Amy Childs, who is the Managing Director at Momentum Energy. Um, In her four years there, she's done some really spectacular, transformational and award-winning projects and has changed the way that the whole organisation works. I really loved this interview, mostly because of Amy's incredibly practical examples that she gives. She was so generous in how she shared her own experiences um, of coming up as a leader, early career and even early life experiences that have really influenced the person that she is today, as well as telling us exactly what she has been doing and what she has been thinking about and struggling with all through this challenge around COVID that we're experiencing right now. I think it's a must listen for any current or emerging leader, and I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome to the show, Amy Childs. It is so fabulous to have you on the Naked Ambition podcast today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. We've been super excited about having you. Um, We spoke about this a little while ago, I think, Amy, and it's just... I think such a critical time to be talking to leaders like yourself um, at the moment. So we've been super excited about having this conversation for a few weeks now. Um, I want to give a shout out to everyone who's joined us live today. Thank you so much. Um, It's really great to have you on. Um, We are, of course, the Naked Ambition podcast where we speak with the people who are making a difference in tech, innovation, design and leadership all across the world. And Amy Childs, you are absolutely one of those people. Uh, Just to give everyone here (laughs) a little bit of background about who you are, I'll give a little quick bio. So you've been at Momentum for four years. You are currently the managing director. And in that time, you have grown the customer base by over a third. You've driven a major digital transformation, which is awesome. You've improved the customer experience as part of that, created all kinds of efficiencies. Um, And just recently, you actually won, you and the team won gold in the Melbourne Design Awards um, for the uh, the environmentally friendly activity-based working space that you created for Momentum here in Melbourne. So not bad for four years, Amy. No, it's been a it's been a hell of a ride, and I think that's the beauty about working somewhere like Momentum. It's sort of that perfect size where you can really make a difference, and you can you can just see it in front of you. And I think that's probably why you know I'm so passionate about working working there. And I just love it. Mm. That's so good. I think that's so clear as well. Um, but anyway, just like let's dive into how you're going. How are you at the moment? It's like a hell of a lot going on out there. It's yeah. crazy times for leaders. How how are things going with you? Look, I think I I describe it as I'm on the roller coaster. Like some days I'm at the top and I'm like I've totally got this. This is fine. And then the next day I'm kind of hurtled to the bottom of that roller coaster. And I'm like, oh god, how am I going to get through this? And I think that's just everybody. Whether you're a leader, whether you're just starting out in your career whether you've been in your career forever, whether you're a board member, it's just, it's such a weird time. Um, and, you know, all the things everyone talks about, super grateful to have a job, super grateful to be, you know, in the position that I'm in, but everyone's just in a grind and I think it's hard to keep your spirits up. And for someone like me who, you know, I, 
I mean, I plan, you know, people that know me well will be chuckling listening to this. I mean, I plan everything. I'm, a, I'm very, very organised. Mm. And I think that's what I call the, the COVID curse. It's for those that don't go with the flow that easily in life. This is actually an extra layer of um, like the control freaks are freaking out because you just have no sort of milestone. And, and I think for leaders in particular, we're all used to growing up on even as children and people in society we're used to we have a goal so you know you save this much money and you can buy a house or you save this much money and you buy a car or you get to this goal weight and you buy that outfit or whatever the thing may be I kind of feel at the moment I don't know what the goal is so it's kind of hard to work towards it and to bring everybody along and I think that's for me personally my my struggle that I'm sort of being quite vulnerable with my team about at the moment is I don't know what good looks like. Is it 200 cases? Is it 300 cases? Is it 20 cases? Is it no cases? Um, what does that look like? And what does life like that after after that look like for us? And so I think that's a real struggle because people are looking for direction. They're looking to leaders for what are we going to do? Are we still going to do this initiative? Are we still going to follow through with a strategy this year? Like all these different questions. And it's really hard to answer that because it's really hard to plan. Yeah. So... That's kind of a, a summary, and I don't not all my feelings, but it's just kind of this. I'm stuck is probably the way I'd describe myself, yeah. um, and that's for me personally is very very challenging. And so, you know, I'm sort of leaning pretty hard on my team to to help me unstick myself from that feeling. Um, and I think that's partly the conversation we're having a lot of the moment around that and sharing that feeling. And I think. The more you can express it, the kind of easier it is and don't kind of bottle it up and hold it all inside. So mm. that's probably a summary of how I'm feeling. You know, I've got all the usual things that many others are contending with. I've got a little, little boy at home who I've played school teacher to very <laughs> unsuccessfully. Um, and I think, you know, I've now been at home. This week marks my sixth month at home. Um, so momentum we pulled the trigger pretty early on sending people home I, I can recall the meeting the 27th of February I pulled the whole leadership group together so every leader in the business and I stood in the boardroom and I just said team like the people stopped showing up for work because they were scared and I just said team if you want to go home and be home just be home like that's cool like you do what you need to do to feel like you can get through this and uh, I never imagined during that speech that would be here still for some people now seven months later yeah running our lives via a screen mm. yeah it's absolutely crazy times so much in that amy so tell me you know talking about that your leadership style so you said like people who know me will be kind of chuckling at this that yeah. you know it's that relinquishing control you know and that's that's, that's right. for leaders and a lot of people so like how are you handling it tell us like what are some of the things that Either you like when you go there, what are you doing about it? How are you getting through? Yeah. So for me, I've spent a lot of my time focusing. My sort of central to my leadership style is people's well-being. So my whole kind of vision around why I do what I do and kind of why I'm a le- I'm a leader is because I actually fundamentally really care about well-being, and it can be in whatever context. So you know, sure, I work for an energy company, but I could do this. I've worked for health insurance before. I've worked in finance before. And I guess the signature style of the Amy Child's leadership experience is very much that um, that people are the centre of wellbeing for me. So I've gone to that as my central point 
to help me get through. So I focused all my energy on what can I do to help my team get through this mm. as a as a team so that we can keep kind of on the straight and narrow of what we need to to, to deliver, but also just to provide space for people to be okay. And so examples of that, particularly from momentum, like we've, we've, I put a program in place for people which was called Take Six Over Six. So we, we went into the second lockdown in Melbourne is I said to people, if you take three days annual leave, I will gift you three days of special leave so oh. that we can reduce the amount of time that people are feeling like they're going to be on the screen and being engaged. And, I mean, that is just the, the amount of feedback I've had on that yeah, and it's just been off the charts. People are like, that's exactly what I needed. And that sort of like got us through what is now stage three. Yeah. During stage one, the biggest thing I thought about was people are moving from a great office environment to a home office with no screens, no chairs, like no, like people weren't set up to work from home. We were very fortunate. Um, we did a lot of work last year to have everybody on on laptops and things like that. But um, we sent care packages and mobilised, um, you know, second-hand chairs and we got screen time to everybody who needed them delivered and sort of took care of that ergonomic aspect for people. So that's kind of what people needed for phase one. For phase two, it's actually time, time to just be. And there's nowhere to go and there's nothing to do in Melbourne, but at least you're not trying to work and trying to answer calls. So what people probably don't appreciate about our business is, you know, a lot of it, like 200 out of my nearly 400 folks are what I call a frontline worker so either taking customer calls or dealing with billing those folks don't have the same liberty that you and I have where if I have a a horrible meeting or a tough time or I'm feeling down I can go for a walk around the block whenever I feel like when you're on a rostered work call you can't and so that weighs on me like I can't it just weighs on me really heavily so those are all the things that we sort of have, have worked on with the team. And my team have been amazing. Like I come up with these crazy things, like literally, you know, I'll come with it at 8 o'clock and by 9.30 it's out and we've done it and we've executed it and they're all trying to sort of keep up with me. But they're amazing because they jump yeah. on board and make these things happen. So whilst, um, you know, they're in it themselves, but those types of things I think is how I've sort of use my control my my need for control my need for planning I've invested all that energy into the well-being of people and god I'm just like I that's that's keeping my cup full at the moment Mm. really kind of helping me get through because I feel good as best as I can I guess um that I'm doing everything I can for the people who really need it in Mm. our business Mm. so that's it's that control what you can but I mean it sounds like it you say it's all linked to that style of leadership that is inherently Amy Childs. That is, yeah. it's about you really, I guess it's the empathy coming to the front, but it's like what yeah. do people really need right now That's and then how right. can I come up with an idea that could deliver to that? And it's contagious, like, you know, that's the thing you'll find. So, you know, I had folks ringing me during the first lockdown going, oh, Amy, we, we can't read another email or looking on a bloody webinar about something like who wants another webinar in their life um you know can we do a really fun video and so they delivered this amazing um program internally which was just interviewing people around the business called quarantine and they ran like a current (laughs) affair show the team just did it all by themselves um over zoom recorded it produced it and those are the types of things when you just give people the freedom to, and the time to be creative, like where people were bidding for stories on it, 
and oh. you know people got to take the fun like take the mickey out of me um you know things like questions people asked them was what's your peak and what's your pit which is a really crazy thing to ask a kiwi to say because when you know an australian business everyone of course loves a kiwi saying hit and peak <laughs> never sounds never sounds good so you know, lots of sort of things like that that gave people laughs and kind of made them feel connected to the culture. Because the biggest, my biggest concern about COVID, you know, the headlines are like, oh, you know, office towers are dead forever and no one's going to go back to the city. And, you know, to be honest, I call a bit of bullshit on that. I think, um, I think, yeah, maybe for the first three weeks, we all thought it was amazing to, you know, lounge around at home and wear our boots and wear your tracksuit pants to the Zoom meetings and things. But now, like, Every single person I talk to, male, female, is like, I would do anything to put on a crisp shirt, a nice suit, do my hair nicely, and go and sit into, go to an office and actually have some, have some, have a space where I can collaborate with colleagues. You know, see my local coffee shop that I used to see every morning. Like, there's connections that people have, and there's that kind of feeling of culture that you have when you walk into an organisation that you just cannot replicate as well online. So I'm not saying it's all back to that, but equally it's all not back to where we are today. I think there's going to be a really awesome blend that's going to come forward from here. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm really thrilled because we we as a business had a vision to have this, this blended kind of distributed workforce was what we embarked on as a transformation journey last year. And we started with a physical environment and then this year was all about the leadership capability to be able to lead distributed teams because that's not easy. Like it's really easy to pull a bunch of people in a room and get around a whiteboard and and nail it. Mm -hmm. But you have to be a lot more thoughtful as a leader when you're trying to run teams in a distributed fashion. So, you know, we'd already planned to sort of do that work this year and now sort of COVID's sort of been the gift that's allowed me to kind of accelerate um, that transformation now because I'm like now the, now Rome's burning on this we actually need to really mobilize around you know, we don't have the luxury of time we need to be ready for when we get out of lockdown in Melbourne to be able to move and transition our leadership style of a business into this more distributed space mm-hmm. so you know that's I think another another huge area of opportunity for leaders because my observations of folks is people have just moved the traditional office environment to the home environment and it's killing people yeah like I I talk to so many people who you know are like oh I can't believe Momentum's doing this or I can't believe Hydro Tasmania is doing this mm. when um you know we're, we're working 13 hour days sort of chained to our desks and replicating back-to-back meetings on Zoom I mean yeah. that's just that's a recipe for disaster mm. yeah and there's so much again like it keeps on coming up I can hear there that the how seriously you're taking well-being you know like we had a bit of a giggle there where you're like oh I can't wait to put on the shirt or you know in our in our case our loud jackets you know we're desperate to get out there and do this but it's but there's something really serious that sits behind that obviously as well it's that this is this isolation is really not a good way for people to live beyond work and it's the responsibility that you clearly have as a leader you know you're shouldering that as yeah. part of, you know, how you set them up for life, really. Yeah, of course. And I think there's, you know, people can sort of, you know, I know I'm, I'm not trying to sort of say, you know, it's all about the clothing and things like no, that. No, 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 no. I mean, okay. but, there's a, but no, no, but well-being for yeah. people is the full picture. So it's feeling fulfilled in terms of what you do. It's feeling at peace with yourself in terms of where your head's at and your mindset. But physical appearance is also a component of well-being. So taking care of yourself, eating well, drinking plenty of water, 
you know, the big focus that we're we're looking at now as a team at Momentum, like the pulse checks and things that are coming through, the biggest people thing people are worried about in my team right now is the nutrition. So people are saying I'm cuddly. I've put on my winter coat. I've sort of chucked on five kilos and I'm feeling terrible. And I know that myself, you know, if I'm carrying too much weight, it affects me in a way that I just, it's not its not a vanity thing. I just don't feel good. I don't feel sharp and I don't feel on top of it. And so that's another huge component of this um, situation that we're in now that, that's important. So we're putting some focus on that now as a team. Um, I'm looking at bringing a nutritionist on board and, and looking at giving people at Momentum access to that so that they can have an opportunity to just have a bit of a review, like, you know, make some conscious decisions around what they're choosing to eat. And that's got nothing to do with selling electricity and gas, but it's got everything to do with making sure that the people that are working with us are in the best condition they can be in so that we get the best result for the customer. Because ultimately that's what we're here to do. And I think, you know, many people don't appreciate this, but we're not we're worse and we're not cold and we're certainly not nurses and doctors and working on that front line. But the folks in my team are actually working on the front line. You know, I'm not ashamed to admit, I, I took a call from a customer early in this crisis and my only response to him was I had to cry. That's the only thing I could do. He was so upset. He's lost a very, very profitable business. He had a very big outstanding debt with us that he couldn't afford to pay. Lost, you know, something like 80 of his staff no longer employed. And he was he was so distraught on the phone that my only response to him was to cry with him. That's the only thing I could do. Um, and, you know, this that's just, you know, I, I get one of those on occasion and I'll take those calls, but my, my, my team are taking those every day at the moment. You know, every day, you know, small businesses in Australia are struggling at the moment. Like, and it's very, very difficult to be able to help um, you know, I'd love to say let everyone get free energy. <laughs> that would make, you know, that would be amazing. But I can't do that. Mm. Um, and so that's the other layer to this complexity is you've sort of got your staff well-being and everyone trying to sort of keep it together, but you've also got your customer. And the stories are heartbreaking. Like domestic violence, we we have very we take our obligations very very seriously around managing domestic violence. We've got big obligations as energy retailers around protecting customers in this situation. And, you know, that's another big challenge for me as a leader during this. It's not just my customers that are living those situations. I have staff as well. Mm. And so, you know, people are like, oh, just work from home. It's actually just work from home. It's actually not possible for everybody that works for you. And so you need to provide, you know, personalised attention to those people and work out how you're going to help them keep their job, keep them safe and make them feel protected through this, um, which is something that I know many leaders are talking about at the moment around the struggle of that, which has been really, really tough mm. um, and quite a big, because not everyone lives in the same same circumstances. So mm. um, so that's another kind of a little hidden thing that, that sits in behind there. And the customer struggle is really real on that as well. So, yeah. um, you know, people losing their jobs and having to call up an energy company and say, I can't afford to pay my bill. I mean, how humiliating is that? to have to have that conversation with somebody so you know for me that's why the well-being piece is so connected to the customer because if 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 my team are feeling well and feeling on top of it then they're able to offer that empathy and that help and that support and that customer experience which we really treasure so Mm. yeah so that's sort of a bit of kind of to give you a bit of a picture of the things that we've been going through Mm. as a business 
I want to get into some of that there because you've talked about a couple of themes, you know, that because I know you speak to a lot of leaders yourself in your role, mm-hmm. um, in your role but also outside. Like what are some of these conversations? You've mentioned well-being in there. We've talked a little bit around space. We've talked about, you know, how we're we dealing with some of these changes and even leadership style and how it's challenging mm-hmm. some of that. What do you think are some of the other big themes that are really coming up for leaders right now? I think for people, what they are seeing almost, I sort of describe it as like when two oceans meet. So, you know, I I swing in to be a millennial by about a month. Like I I still proudly call myself a millennial. (laughs) It's a bit dodge. Like I'm right on the borderline. But, you know, (laughs) we'll take it. That's right. Um, And I think, you know, the millennial style of leadership is, um, is different. So, you know, we're and I'm generalising and I hate generalising because I a lot of things get generalised about millennials that I really irritates me because we're not all spoiled brats. But um, there is the style of leadership which is quite um, it's quite equitable. So we try and, you know, certainly for me, I try and make sure things are very fair. Everyone's equal. It doesn't really matter what your role is in the organisation. I kind of don't really observe hierarchical structures. I just don't really think that gets the best out of people. Um, and then you've got a more experienced kind of more old school traditional style of leadership but with heaps of experience and so what I'm observing is this really interesting learning off each other like I haven't sort of seen before Um, so millennials typically can sort of say well we're new and modern this is the way we do things and you know some more of the traditional leadership can sort of roll their eyes a bit at that and go oh god they'll, they'll work it out I think now there's a real meeting of the mind because when the asset is on, because this issue with COVID is not just around well-being and staff, it's actually there's heavy financial and real like business problems yeah. that some folks have been around the block before on um, because they've just had more time on the earth, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, and so so those, those the, I see that kind of leaning in and that like let's get together and let's talk about some of these problems, which is quite awesome to see. It's almost like guards have been dropped on both sides to kind of learn off each other, which is, which I'm I'm enjoying, um, and there's sort of respect and learning around what you know people have done to respond to different things. Because some businesses are booming, like you know if you're selling alcohol in certain cohorts of Australia, you're doing very well. If you're online, you know retail online, you're doing very very well. So you know if you're in anything like food serve, like in the food space, you know that's all sort of flying, and then others aren't. So it's 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 kind of helping. People, those sort of folks are almost humble about their success because they're almost embarrassed. I'm noticing kind of almost an, not embarrassed, but they're just feeling uncomfortable about being so successful in such trying conditions. And so, um, which is really nice to sort of see that there's that kind of awareness around being humble um, and being mindful of the of the circumstances we're in, which I think is a really nice thing to see around leaders and businesses. Mm. And I think the other big hope for me out of this that I, I really hope um, emerges as a theme is is something around businesses doing good for customers. So I think as a society, we love a beat up. You know, we, we love to, you know, I mean, I work in energy. No one loves to beat up energy more than, <laughs> you know, people love to beat up an energy company. Mm. And the reality is, you know, I sit on the Australian Energy Council um, uh, board and I work, you know, on that board with some phenomenal leaders of energy businesses who have been in the energy industry for a very long time. I can learn a lot off 
um, a lot of those people. And, you know, if you read the headlines in the paper, you know, we're all trying to rip people off and gouge them. And, and, and yes, there's been practices that have been really bad in the energy sector, but none of those CEOs or NDs are sitting around the table saying, how can we make sure we rip people off? Or mm. how can we make sure we treat them really badly through this, through this crisis? I mean, the energy industry has leaned in and goodwilled so much to customers, which is just so heartening to see. Um, and I think that's sort of my great hope out of this is that some of those good stories get shared yeah. and actually make it to the top because we're kind of in this world of doom and gloom. Like, who yeah. wants to turn on the news? Like, everything's just so depressing. Um, and it's a lot of focus on what everyone's done wrong and not a lot of focus on what everyone's done right. Mm. Um, and we actually get things right most of the time. It's just once in a time we don't, and it just shadows over everything. And I think that's genuinely true for um, many organisations. And it's almost like we've become afraid to talk about the good things that we do or the good news stories. So that's a theme that I think, it's not really a theme, but it's just an observation that I have and I guess a hope uh, that at the end of this that we might actually learn something as as a society around celebrating some of the wins and talking about, you know, every conversation to start with, yeah. what's gone right for us today? Mm. Or, you know, what should we be winning? What should we be celebrating as a win? Um, just to get us more into that positive, progressive mindset um, that I think at the moment people are probably struggling with. I think it's a, a massive theme, actually, because it's that... that we are hungry for optimism right now. Yeah. That is it. People need it. We need some of those stories and you're absolutely right. You know, we yeah. you know, it's we could talk about that till we're blue in the face. Yeah. We're not going to get that from the media, but it's like if you're thinking about what we want to see or what you want to see with more from leaders is how can leaders actually role model more of sharing those those right. optimistic stories and even an example that you've given there of how you're doing that at Momentum by bringing people in with you know, the, the, what was it called? Quarantining? Oh, the quarantine. Quarantine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, quarantine as well yeah. is a great example of that, you know, bringing people in to be involved yeah. in that so that you're part yeah. of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, that's you know, and there's a way to do it that's humble. Like, yeah. you know, I get it. Kiwis, Australians, we're the same. We hate it. We hate, you know, somebody who bloody blows their own trumpet too loudly. We sort of get a bit sensitive about that. But yeah. there is a way you can actually get that story out there. And I think yeah. we've got to make more of an effort with some of that, some of that stuff. Yeah. To give um, Victor Patron, is a great leader as well, does a lot of um, something for something called the, the start of the Centre for Optimism, yeah. purely about some of that stuff. So yeah, yeah. it's really cool. I yeah. want to go into, we've talked about some some seriously concrete examples of what you're doing as a leader right now, what you want to mm -hmm. see, what is happening, some reflection. Can we go back a bit? You talked yeah. about the Amy Child style of leadership. Where has this yeah. come from? Tell us about your life. Who, who is <laughs> Amy Child? <laughs> well, it's very, very evident by the very subtle Kiwi accent you can hear on the line that I was born in New Zealand. But actually, a lot of people don't appreciate that. Actually, I, I fluently speak Spanish. So um, if I spoke to you in Spanish right now, you would not know that I could speak English. So Give us a little bit. Um, ah, que quieres que te hable en castellano? <laughs> Which means, would you like me to speak to you in Spanish? Beautiful. But I... Um, you know, my parents were, well, my parents, my mum and my dad were amazing, amazing people. So they, both Kiwis, my dad was a farmer and my mum was a school teacher. And in 1987, they decided to 
um, move three children under the age of four to Chile um, and, and South America. And, you know, when I when people ask me sort of that, they sort of look at me and go, what do you mean? Like, were they Chilean? I said, no, they weren't. They were both Kiwis. They spoke no Spanish. And, um, you know, they had their life savings, which wasn't huge, and they took three kids there on an adventure. And my dad was a big visionary, so he had this great big vision around he wanted to go farming in Chile. He thought there was great opportunity there. Um, the share market had crashed in 1987, so he was off to make his, make his fortune, fortune there. And so I had this sort of very rich childhood where, um, you know, these little adventurers sort of went off. And, and as you do with, as a child, you just kind of roll with the punches. It's sort of this is what your normal life's like. And it's not really till I'm now, you know, in my mid thirties, we call it, but I kind of now realise the enormity of that on in terms of how that's impacted me in terms of the person I am and also my leadership style. And you know, examples of that, I mean the resilience of my parents to just to go to the unknown. I mean, I remember my grandmother saying, Oh, you're gonna get killed because I mean Pinochet was running was running Chile when when they moved there. And um, for those that know their South American history, that was a pretty dicey time to think uh, that was a good time to go. But you know, they worked really hard, bought a farm and sort of pioneered New Zealand-style dairy farming in Chile. And, you know, my dad sort of became a bit of a local legend. And um, unfortunately, when I was 16, he passed away. He got cancer. And, and so that sort of had a big, big impact on my, my family dynamics and my life because, you know, I had to grow up very quickly. Um, I, you know, I, I was, I'm the eldest in my family. I've got two, I've got two younger brothers. And they, you know, I sort of became kind of mum to them while my mum had to sort of step into this role of running my dad's, you know, their, their farm, which was quite a big dairy dairy business by then. And, you know, she was the only, she's my mum's tiny. I mean, she's, she's 47 kilos. She's five foot, you know, five foot something. She's a little pocket rocket. And, you know, Chile was very, um, at the time, was very male dominated. Um, women were kind of not uh, treated in the same way as men. And she'd turn up to farm meetings and it would be her and 480 blokes, you know. So, you know, a huge role, role model for me in terms of justice, resilience to get on and get things done and push forward. And so that's sort of where that kind of hard work comes from both, both well, I guess, both from my parents. Um, but also, you know, I had to grow up very quickly. You know, like South mm. America is, it's a, it's a whole different ball game. You're far more socially aware um, of inequality in people. So, you know, particular things in my childhood like I'd go to my friends houses after school and a lot of them had maids you know people in the house to help and there was a maid for the cleaning and a maid for the cooking and a maid to look after the children and just watching some of my friends mothers and how they treated those people it's like it's just it was just oh. so unfair like treated them really poorly and that's not their fault they just didn't have the education or the social awareness that's that's just not how we do things in our kind of corner of the world. Yeah. And um, that's massively shaped me in terms of my fairness. And I, I, can't, I can't stand that brand of leadership where the boss won't talk to the person who, you know, delivers the mail in the office or can't even acknowledge the cleaner or is too proud to stack the dishwasher. Like, I can't stand any of that. So for me... If it's good for you, it's good for me, and yeah. I will muck in and do what's what's required, and that's sort of really come from that kind of what I observed in that culture. 
Mm. And then the second piece of it is, you know, I, I my parents sent me to boarding school um, when I was 13. So I, I flew out to New Zealand. They dropped me off, left me at boarding school and flew back to Chile. And and people are quite shocked by that. They're sort of like, what do you mean? And, and in those days, you didn't fly to Chile direct. You sort of had to stop on the way. So I used to do stopovers in Buenos Aires and Argentina or I used to do stopovers on Easter Island and Tahiti on the way sort of to New Zealand and back again sort of between Chile and, and New Zealand. And, um, you know, I, I did that from when I was 13. And, like, I look at that now and go, my mother was just so brave to let me do that. But I, I've been, my whole life, I've been almost by the age I am now since the age I was four. Like, when I was 13, I was basically 30. So <laughs> I've always been very responsible. Um, and that comes, I think, from that kind of pioneer upbringing and just you know you just have to get on with it so um that's sort of I think a huge influence on yeah me and the, the way the way I am the way I am yeah that's a lot of responsibility to shoulder but I mean yeah as you say like also amazing role models that have yeah. just shown you you know what is possible and to have those you know the, I guess those the brave aspirations have you always been really ambitious do you think as well yeah I think so like I think I'm not sure if it's it's ambitious but it's also a very high standard of myself and I think that comes from from sort of growing up in a world where I felt different so you know I used to go to school in Chile and I went to a German school so um it was very kind of the, the school system over there is either you went to a school that spoke a language, so it was either German, English or French. I think my parents thought there's no point sending you to a school where you can speak English because you already speak that. So we'll do the German, we'll do the German version instead. So, you know, when I was about eight or nine, I could speak German as well. I can't speak a word of it now, it's all gone. But um we it, it, it was I felt very different when I went to school there. Because I used to speak to my parents in English in front of the other kids who spoke to their parents in Spanish. So mm-hmm. And then we kind of developed this weird language, which was Spanglish. So it was a bit of a blend. <laughs> so my brothers and I, when we're sort of all together, there's just words in English that Spanish does a better job of. So yes. we sort of jump them in. So, you know, our husbands and my, my husband and my brother's wives are all a bit like, oh, gosh, you guys are a bit strange. But um, that's, a, that's, you know, that, that kind of um, that feeling of being different, I then got it when I came to New Zealand because when I got to New Zealand, it was such a culture shock to go to school there. I mean, people didn't wear shoes, you know. Like, I was like, what, why, why, like, Kiwis were wearing bare feet around school. And that's kind of a thing that Kiwis do. But I, I was just horrified. Whereas in South America, you go to the supermarket and it looks like you're going nightclub. And I mean, you're all dressed up and you've got the makeup on. And so that was a huge, huge change of pace. Mm. Um, it took me a, a good year to kind of really adjust to that Kiwi style of life. And then I used to go back home, back to Chile every school holidays. So, you know, that sort of was quite unsettling in terms of that feeling of who am I and um, and so I sort of had to sort of forge my own path and be at peace that the fact that I was different. Yeah. So I never tried to sort of fit into what the norm was and I've actually, my husband always says this about me, he goes, oh, he goes you don't have this thing where you're worried about people, what people are going to say about you. And I yeah. think, no, I, I don't worry because, you know, I can be polarising but I don't carry that worry um, about people liking me or not liking me. And I think it is because of that, because I've just had to forge my own path. Mm. Very, very handy one to have as well, especially when you're leading large teams. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes not even a lot of time to have that kind no. of I think as well. Yeah. What would you tell that kid if you could, 
like from what you know now yeah. what would you tell her oh so many things one <laughs> is I'd bloody spend more time going skiing in the Andes that's one thing I, <laughs> I got to do when I was at school there which was just amazing I'd tell them to go back and do more of that Mm. um but probably just to enjoy it more so I think you know the look back on stuff's always great and when you're in the moment you forget to enjoy the moment and it's something we talk about in my house a lot now because it's very easy now in the current times to be saying gosh everything's just so hard and you know this is tough but there is going to be a day where we'll look back and say gosh wasn't that so special because it's it's a little bit like childbirth you forget all the bad parts of it once you've got the baby. Mm. <laughs> and that's, that's sort of a little bit around the analogy of when things are hard and difficult, it's, the, it's, the, um, it's just remembering and enjoying that. Mm. Obviously, I'd love to have spent more time with my dad. That's another big thing I'd tell that person to really kind of push down. Like he was a very hard worker and I should, we should have demanded, the family demanded more time of him. Um, so those are all the things if you go back in time you'd push harder for. But, you know, it was such a, an amazing forming experience for me. And my, my goal for my 40th, which is in three years' time, is to take my boys there and do a big South America chili feast yes. <laughs> for, for as long as we possibly can. So, yeah, I know. So it'll be good. I love it. A little bit of advice that you've given there to your younger one is also, I think, good sage advice even for now, you know, just yeah. enjoy there's sort of there are little nuggets of sort of some cool. beautiful things right now of the connection and stuff that we've got with the people around us that yeah, yeah just taken that sure. as a little piece of advice yeah. I want to we've talked a bit about you know your reflections of what's going on at the moment leadership your own what about like gazing into even future like what are some of the things that you really you're obviously not done yet. You're super accomplished leader, you know, Doogie Howser <laughs> for your age already. So no doubt yeah. there's, you know, there's some pretty incredible years coming for you as well. Like what, yeah. what is the sort of impact you want to have? What is the legacy you want to have? Let's yeah, on that for us for a bit. Yeah, sure. I think for me, for me, impact is, is kind of everything and I think you know a little bit about my you know my South American upbringing like you know my dad had such a big impact on the community he worked in and he transformed the way people farmed the land like that's his legacy and so as children of that you kind of have this thing on you like what legacy do I want to leave so I give that a lot of thought for me it's around I really want to get the balance I want to be a role model of leadership around the balance between you don't you can have a really awesome culture and a really amazing organization and perform at the highest level. And you can do that regardless, like people kind of go, you know, you've got to be a tech startup or you need to be this, you need to be, you don't, you can actually renovate what you've got and you can transform it. Like I love a transformation. And for me, that's sort of what I want, you know, my impact to be. It's not on a global scale or a like, you know, I'm a change the world and how it le- how it, how people are led. For me, the impact's more on if people can look back on me as their leader and say, Amy Childs did something for me when I worked for her that has changed the course of my life. I'm like, bang, that's actually my purpose. <laughs> that's actually what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's the personalized email to me, it's the phone call, it's the text message that says, hey, thanks for giving me a lift up on this thing or thanks for your advice on this thing or that's actually where I get my drive and my kind of get up and go from 
Mm. It's not about, you know, I'm the person who gets picked for, you know, running the biggest company in the world. Um, so I just want to have that kind of people impact on a bigger scale. So that, that'll that happen, you know, no doubt I'll get, you know, myself into some situation where, I, you know, I run different types of businesses. I don't have any doubt about that. But for me, it's more of that local feeling for people. I never want to be in a spot where I, I can't have a broad kind of knowledge of everyone that's in the group. And that's what I love about the size of Momentum, mm. you know. Um, it's in that really it's a bit of a tricky spot because it's just short of 400 folks and mm. everyone knows who I am and I kind of know who three quarters of the people are and there's an occasional one that I know their face but I'm not quite sure of their name so you know there's that but it's that's a good feeling for me and that's that sort of really really drives me so that's where I want to see it heading for me personally is just more impact like that mm-hmm. um and that that story being told really that's the, the most important thing and that being replicated because organizations sure they they need to align to a leader but it's important that that is almost the knowledge is transferred so you know I do a lot of work with my direct reports to to make sure that it's not just just me doing it that they're starting to kind of follow that approach and that thoughtfulness it's actually not that hard it's just being thoughtful yeah um and so it's almost like how do you teach somebody to be thoughtful and it takes time you know um and people are trained to run organizations in a way that's performance and kpis and all those things are important but actually if you overlay thoughtfulness over the top of it you get much better results i think Mm. It's good advice as well. Can we stay on that a little bit? Because I think yeah. talking about that performance plus culture, you know, you, they're not mutually exclusive. You can have that really inclusive mm. culture, that feeling of belonging and still be your A players, your high-performing yeah. teams. What you've mentioned kind of that thoughtfulness and you having that personal touch. We've heard a bit about your kind of obsession with customer centricity as well. Yeah. And you are a bit famous for being happy to pick up the phone with for customers. Yeah. What are other ways, you know, for people who are listening or leaders who are listening, they're yeah. like, that's what I want to create, big or small company. Yeah. Like, what is Amy's advice to those individuals about doing something? Like, what has really worked for you, do you reckon? You have to listen and you have to know your people. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like don't have a conversation with people that's like, oh, so where do you want to be in 10 years? Like have a conversation with them like where do you live? What goes on in your life? Do you have kids? What are their kids' names? Like, know know them, and then once you know them, it's actually it's actually much easier to then work out how you help them be their full self. Mm. So it's taking the time and being interested in that. That's important. Um, that's the thing I'm finding the hardest right now is. Mm. I spend all my day walking around talking to people. Mm. That's actually my job. And I can walk past them and I can just look at them and I can know that they're off. And then I'll phone them and I'll say, what's going on with you today? I noticed X, Y, Z. And it freaks people out. Like, oh, God, Amy's ringing me. Oh, my God, something's happened. And I'm like, no, I'm just ringing because I noticed that you weren't yourself. Yeah. What's happening for you? Mm. And... People have confessed all sorts of things to me. I'm getting divorced. I've got this going on. I've got this mental health challenge. I've got, you know, and you you have to be willing and ready as a leader to take on that burden. Mm. 
and not avoid it. And I think, unfortunately, as we have grown up in the school of management and that, that you're taught, oh, that's your private life and that's your work life mm. and neither should the two ever meet. And I just, I call bullshit on that. I think it, you can't distinguish distinguish it. And, it and the lines are getting blurrier by the minute. I mean, at the moment, we're all yeah. living our lives on our home lives on screen in front of all of our colleagues mm-hmm. um so i think that's the that's the you you have to listen and you have to get really hone in your observation skills you've got to notice things you've got to notice that someone's you know um you know little things like notice that someone's worn the same shirt to work every day you know something's going on for that person and we, as humans, we tend to judge, oh, God, they wore the same shirt every day. Actually, the person's lost their home and they've split up with their partner. So there's more underneath that, and that's going to impact their performance. So as leaders, we have a responsibility to provide them safety because everyone's concerned about financial well-being. So, you know, your first job is to reassure people around that and then give them the space to get themselves right. And once you've done that, you will find that that person will jump over a cliff for you mm-hmm. um, and that's what we should be teaching our leaders in the business yeah is how to really connect and understand where people are at yeah. and that's lifetime loyalty for that sort of lifetime loyalty yeah. that's yeah. right yeah, yeah exactly right yeah and something more you know like we don't we can actually be friends with people yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can you know what I mean like we are humans who are designed to have connection so you know, it feels good to help each other and that's what we should spend time doing because it actually fulfills you by helping someone else that helps you. Yeah. Um, and I think for many leaders at the moment, that's the hard thing because we're all in the same situation. It's actually much easier to help somebody when you're in a more sort of stable situation yourself. When you're in the pits yourself and yeah. you're trying to help somebody else, it's, it's really tough. Like you're having to dig really deep and so... Mm. Um, I think a lot of leaders are probably feeling quite tired. I'm feeling very tired and that's, mm. and that's I think, is the reason why. Yeah. I think there's another layer to that as well. It's such an important conversation, especially at the moment because, yes, there's, you know, the psychological strain or emotional strain on leaders themselves, but it's also that the external business pressure as well, isn't it? And I yeah. think sometimes there's a bit of reluctance and fear for people to get close to people when there's so much uncertainty and that feels I've heard of a couple of leaders and that kind of made me prick up and get it's really unnerved me thinking like no I don't want to be too close to them at the moment because I don't know what's going to happen you know there's those yeah. sorts of things and it's like but that's not that solution does not serve anybody you know you know by like keeping a bigger distance from people at a time when we no. actually need to be getting closer because you just potentially create even more fear is what I'm getting yeah to. yeah absolutely and you know if you've got to deliver somebody bad news you'd rather do it from a base of trust yeah than do it from a position of total and like you just don't know them at distance. all distance um yeah. yeah it's just not yeah it's not great for either individual involved yeah yeah so much in here amy thank you so much for this conversation Uh, we always um we always try to pull out a couple of highlights that you know then we when we post things on socials and as you've been talking i've been scrambling i think i've got seven different ones here which are going to be in the mix (laughs) seriously so many i think amazing 
like genuine takeaways. I really want yeah. to thank you for being so generous because they're really no problems. Yeah, some great reflection, but also um, some other pieces. Is there also anything that I haven't asked that that you really want to add before we wrap up? I think there was one thing that you were going to ask me, which you mm. said to me when we we talked about this. You said to me, "What would be something that no one would agree with you on?" <laughs> yes. And my top, my, this is true. my that's that true. Is true. That's right. So my top, my top tip, and this, you won't need to take this as a takeaway, Fiona, because yeah. it's, it's not a takeaway. But my top tip for mindfulness is ironing. I absolutely. Oh. So it's a little unknown fact about me, but I love ironing. It's like it's what I do for mindfulness. So some people listen to you know smiling minds and lots of things like that. Yeah. I don't. I get the ironing board out, the iron, and a big pile of. <laughs> anything that can be ironed in my house and I yeah. iron and I iron my problems away. So, so that's my, that's my, uh, I love that. yeah. So that just probably discredited everything I've just said, but there you go. It's <laughs> like edit that bit up. No, yeah. no, I love that. I think it's so, we need those little things, isn't it? I guess, do you know what? I think that's all actually brought you full circle to you opening up saying your leadership style is about control. Or, or elements of that because there's got to be that, that kind of control. My husband, Chris, actually does have that as well when he's, like, feeling a bit anxious about something. He just has to clean the house from top to toe, which yeah, that's like, right. that is the best. That's, oh, what that's, a, good, yeah. that's a good uh, That's <laughs> a, a good handy husband. Definitely <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no gold. Uh, thank you so much again. Thank you for everyone no who's been live as well. Um, it's just been gorgeous speaking to you this afternoon. And good Likewise. luck with everything with the team as well. And Thank um, you. Can't wait to we'll hear talk more. Soon. Yeah. Sounds good. Stories. Alrighty. See you later. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>